I'd like to say good morning. It is always a wonderful time when God's people can come together. When God's people can lift their voices in His presence to remind ourselves of what's truly important about this life. And to look forward to the day where we will do nothing more than what we've just enjoyed this morning in praising and worshiping God and singing around His throne together. If you're like me, as we sat there this morning singing those songs, I envisioned heaven and what that experience will be like one day. And I look forward to that and I hope and pray that you look forward to that day as well. This week we've endeavored to paint pictures, to create a scene in our mind of the most important event that's ever taken place on this earth, to hopefully draw some comparisons to individuals who found themselves confronted with Jesus as He hung there on the cross. And we've examined those individuals' lives and the circumstances that brought them to the cross that day. Some of them there because they sincerely wanted to be there at the foot of Jesus and to see what was going to happen. Maybe not fully understanding everything that was taking place, but simply had a love and a concern for Jesus Christ and they found themselves staring up at their dying Savior. We looked at some who were there not by their own will, who were hung next to Him on crosses of their own, who one of which sought forgiveness and had faith enough in Jesus to declare Him as His Lord and to exhibit an amount of faith in asking Him that when He came into His kingdom that Jesus would remember Him. We looked at a mother who watched her son in human form that she had held in her arms as an infant child and now was bloodied and beaten, physically destroyed by men. We studied how the adversary looked upon that cross thinking that he had gained a victory. That maybe, just maybe, he had been able to thwart God's plan of redemption for mankind and in fact, he never really even understood the cross, did he? Because he had nothing to do with what happened to Jesus. Jesus freely laid himself down as a payment for our sins. And then we examined a holy father who had such a great love and a great desire to have a relationship with you and I that He sacrificed Himself upon that cross in the form of a man. As interesting as all of those points of view may be, as interesting as it is to speculate over some of the things that may they may have experienced and thoughts they may have had, the only thing that matters this morning is what you see at that cross. And as you ponder and you think about what we've sung about this morning, the song before the prayer, as we have an opportunity to come to the cross of Christ just as we are, empty, broken, desperate, in that moment we have an opportunity to be healed and to be filled and to be satisfied because of the debt that God had paid on our behalf. 
And as we look at the cross this morning, I don't want you to think about the Roman soldier. I don't want you to think about Mary, his mother. I don't want you to think about John, the beloved disciple. I don't want you to think about Satan and his angels. I don't want you to think about the Holy Father in heaven. But I want you to think about your life. And I want you to think about what you see as you see Jesus there hung between heaven and earth giving a payment for your sins. Yes, He died for the sins of the world, but why is that of consequence to us? It's because when He looks at me and I look at Him, I see a Savior who died for me. That makes this very personal, doesn't it? And this morning, I hope and pray that you see a Savior that died for you. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 45 says, And they crucified Him and parted His garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted My garment, and upon My vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched Him there. We've talked this week about His acquaintances in Luke 23 that watched from a distance as all these things unfolded. Then we looked at some lives where they wanted to be as close to the cross as they could be to see what was happening and to be there for Jesus trying to provide comfort or support or just in their desperate need, trying to be as close to Him as they possibly can. But the bottom line is you and I are sitting here today and we're looking upon that cross. What is it that you see? Do you see a foolish plan that makes no sense in the human mind? Or do you see the redemptive story of God? You know, this morning we were talking about sometimes the struggle of taking one event and talking about it for ten sermons. We could do it for a hundred sermons, couldn't we? Because this is the pivotal moment of all human history. The entire Bible is about this moment. This time. And everything that God gave man in the garden that man had squandered away through sin, giving in to the temptation of Satan, God set forth His plan. The plan that He had from even beginning before the foundation of the world. God knew what was going to happen and He knew the plan that had to be in place and He knew the payment that had to be made. And as man squandered that away and wasted it in the garden, we see the mercy and the grace of God begin to unfold before our very eyes. And everything from that moment leading up to that cross is about Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand something today. Everything after the cross is about Jesus Christ. And I hope and pray that that's true about our lives today. Some of the things that we've seen this week, that we've talked about, that we see when we look upon that cross, number one is we see our sins. Our own sins that were laid upon His body that He took upon Himself so that we could have true forgiveness. Isaiah 53 and 5 says, But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. Again, in 1 Peter 2 and verse 24 says, Who His own self bare our sins in His own body on that tree. That we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. We come to the cross broken. We come to the cross needing something. But we have the opportunity to look upon the body of Jesus hanging there and see our own sins destroyed by the power of God. And then from that moment on, something has to change. Do you realize as we ponder and consider Jesus this morning, when you look at the cross, you need to see your sin. And understand the great price that God paid 
in destroying the physical carnal body of Jesus so that your sins could be paid for. Something else we see is the entirety of the redemptive plan of God playing out. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10 says, "...of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently." who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto they, unto us did they minister the things which are, for, are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost." sent down from heaven, which things the angels desired to look into. As God's plan begins to unfold and we see Jesus on that cross, we see His redemptive plan take place that the angels had no idea about. And that every human being that looked at that cross at that time didn't fully comprehend or understand, but we looking back to that cross, we see God's plan. We also see our justification. And we need to see our salvation. Isaiah 53 and verse 10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. And when we look at the cross, we have to look at it and understand that the sin debt has been satisfied. That God's wrath has been appeased. God's wrath has been satisfied because of the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And that's the only thing that could have done that. We can't earn it. We can't obey enough commands. We can't be good enough of our own selves. For salvation is the gift of God. And as Jesus hung there on the cross, man's salvation was present in that blood that flowed from that cross. One other thing we haven't talked about this week that I want to talk about this morning is we see the author and finisher of our faith. We see the Alpha and the Omega. We see the beginning and the end as we ponder and we examine Jesus Christ on that cross. And as we look at Jesus, we know that death wasn't the end for Him. We know that that grave couldn't hold Him. And even if Satan believed that he could hold Jesus bound in death, God had a plan. And by His power, He raised Him up so that those apostles and disciples of that first century would be encouraged. And that everything that they had been taught by Christ and then the cross would make sense. Because they understood that He had to die so that God could raise Him again. And as you and I look at that death on the cross, we can't help but look at it with the perspective of knowing that He came alive again. And with that, bringing eternal salvation to mankind. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. We look at Hebrews chapter 12 in the previous chapter, we read about a lot of individuals who had a lot of faith. This week we've studied about a lot of individuals who saw the cross and what they may have experienced. And as we look at Hebrews 11, it talks about by faith Noah being warned of God, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Abraham by faith left his homeland to a land that God has promised him and directed him to go to. And we see example after example of people who by faith did wonderful and great things for God in obedience to His will. But then we get to chapter 12. You know what he really says there in chapter 12? You think about all those witnesses, but there's one person you really need to look at. And that's Jesus Christ. Your life has to be focused upon Him. Why? Because He endured the cross for you. We owe Him a debt of gratitude that God says the only way for us to begin to pay that back is to have a living sacrifice in our life. That we would be born again into the kingdom of God through that blood so that we could look at the cross and say, Jesus is my Savior. I see Him there and I have a relationship with that man and therefore He reconciles me to God. And you can't have that without Jesus Christ. When Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, He said, no man cometh unto the Father but by Me. That's an exclusive teaching. And today, if man desires to have a relationship with God, we must understand the reality that Jesus is the only path. That Jesus is the author of eternal salvation. And there's no other name in heaven or heaven given among men whereby we must be saved except for Jesus. And all of that's possible because of the cross. In Acts chapter 8, get your Bibles out and turn to Acts chapter 8. We're going to read about the experience of a man referred to as the Ethiopian eunuch. We referenced him the other night very briefly. But you know, this man had a very important question that he needed to ask. And he needed someone to reveal the truth unto him. Because he had a great desire to know God and to know God's will. And in Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26... The Bible says, The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, an eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter and like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? 
That's the eternal question. That's the most important question that that eunuch had to have answered that day. As he read Isaiah the prophet in Isaiah 53, which we've looked at and we've covered in great detail this week, that man sat there and read that. You know why he was reading it? He wanted to understand it. He had probably read it before. He was familiar with it, but he could never understand what is the essence of this teaching. What does this really mean? Until he had a chance to encounter this preacher named Philip. But understand the question that he asks. He reads about this sacrifice or this suffering servant of Isaiah 53 and he says, who is he talking about? Do you realize today as we look to the cross, you need to know who that man is. You need to know that he is the Son of God. That he was the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. And he was a man who loved you enough to sacrifice himself on that cross and lay his life down as a ransom for many. Do you understand who he is Or are you sitting here this morning saying, who is that man on that cross? If you're asking yourself who that man is this morning, I want to declare that it's Jesus Christ. And He died so that you could be reconciled to God in spite of your sins and your life. You see, in the cross, we see that price for sin being paid. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God had set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. God was very patient with man. God was patient with His own people time and time again, giving them opportunity to repent and serve Him. But there came a point where the forbearance ran out. The patience ran thin. And all of the sin of mankind had reached a point that it had to be paid for. And the only thing sufficient enough to cover that debt and to substitute itself in your place for your sins is that blood. Do you realize the price of your sins has been paid for? As we talked about forgiveness last night, forgiveness is not saying you forgive someone and then making them pay the debt themselves. Forgiveness is saying I forgive you and I will pay the debt for you. That's exactly what God did for us. You see, also in the cross, we see a provision was supplied. 1 Peter 3 and verse 18 says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. It's amazing to think that God created man because He wanted to have a relationship with man. He wanted a being that would long for Him and desire to be with Him and love Him. And teach them about the love that He has for them so that they could reciprocate that love for Him. God doesn't need us. And it's foolish of man to think that God needs us for anything. But I do want you to understand this this morning. God desires us. God desires to have a relationship with you even when you have no desire for Him. He longs for you. 
He cries out to you wanting you to come to Him so that you can be satisfied and you can be filled and you can find the answers to this life. And so that He can spend an eternity with you. You see, we serve a sacrificial God, don't we? We think about the sacrifices we make, but we don't sacrifice anything compared to what God has sacrificed for us. And with that sacrifice of Christ on the cross, He opened a pathway that would allow us into His kingdom. The work of Christ was completed on that cross. Mark chapter 10 verse 45, Jesus in His teaching made it very plain. He said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus understood His purpose. Jesus understood, I didn't come for people to serve me and be ministered to, but I came to be an example of what a servant ought to be and minister to those that are in need and also to offer my life as a ransom, as a payment for many. And in John 17, as he prayed there to his father before his trial and before his death, he said, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus finished the working of God. And he completed the redemptive plan of God to reconcile us to himself. Do you deserve that? You ever think of that? I don't deserve that. And I don't deserve it because Adam and Eve sinned. I don't deserve it because of anyone else's sin or because I don't deserve it because of my sin. And because I have offended God. I have broken His law. And because He's a just God, He requires a payment. And that payment should come from me. But even my life is not enough of a payment to cover the stains of my sin. But the blood of Jesus is. And when He died on the cross, He looked at man and He said, I have finished the work. Declaring to God that His redemptive plan was complete. And man could now truly be reconciled to God. Do you know Philip answered that eunuch's question? You go back to Acts chapter 8 and you look at this discourse and the discussion that they're having as he's reading Isaiah 53 and he says, who's, who's, the, who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. i got to know. And in verse 35, what did Philip preach to him? It says, beginning at this Scripture, he preached unto him Jesus. This man had been in Jerusalem. Had he heard about Jesus? Everybody in Jerusalem had heard about Jesus. He had been there to worship, to celebrate. And he was on his way home. Surely he had heard something about this man who had been crucified and who three days later had arisen from the dead apparently. You see, that wasn't done in secret. It wasn't done over in a corner of the city where nobody knew. It was widely known that this had happened. The Roman authorities couldn't produce a body. The Jews couldn't get a story straight in their head of how they were going to explain all this. 
And the apostles and the disciples began preaching and teaching about this gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, how man could now be saved and have the forgiveness of sins laid to their account. And the Bible says, Philip preached unto him Jesus. You ever wonder, what did Philip say? I wonder, what what did he say? Did he talk about some of the things that we talked about this week? And that there were eyewitnesses who saw this man die? There were Roman soldiers who declared that truly he was the Son of God, indicating that they had made a horrible and tragic mistake? Maybe he talked about other sermons that had already been preached and how people were coming and obeying the gospel and these people were being baptized so that their sins might be removed. I always wonder, what did Philip say? I think we get a pretty good idea if we look at the eunuch's next question. In verse 36, it says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? That's an interesting jump in logic, isn't it? That this man could not have made by himself. So when we think about the preaching of Jesus that Philip did to this eunuch, one thing we know of certain that Philip talked about was what? Was baptism. Interesting, generally speaking, when we talk about salvation in the religious world, which part of the process of God's plan of redeeming man is the most controversial? The one that causes more questions. Generally speaking, it's baptism. But in the simple preaching of Jesus here to this man who desperately wanted to know who Isaiah 53 was all about, Baptism was a clear teaching and doctrine that Philip taught. For that eunuch saw a body of water and said, What keeps me from doing this? One thing that Philip may have talked about was that baptism is a work of God. And as we look at the cross today, we have to understand Jesus did the work in His death on the cross But when we come submitting to God's plan in baptism, God performs another work. And He performs that work on each and every individual's heart who's repentant and seeking the forgiveness of their sins. Colossians chapter 2, beginning in verse 10 says, And you are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Buried with Him in baptism, wherein also you are risen with Him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised Him from the dead. Do you have faith that God raised up the body of Jesus? That as Jesus' body hung there on the cross, and we know that He died... The Bible says he took a last breath and he cried out and he gave up the ghost. He died. We understand that. But do you believe that he rose again? Who had the power to do that? God did. God's operation that we have to have faith in, I believe, is twofold. One of those operations is the faith in that resurrection that God's power was able to bring Jesus 
back to life. And it was a bodily resurrection. That that body that they had laid in Joseph's tomb was not there. And that that body came up out of that grave victorious and became immortal. Never to die again. And in baptism, God by that same power is able to perform an operation on your heart. He says it's the circumcision made without hands. These individuals understood circumcision and the significance of it and what it was. And he says this circumcision is without hands. It's not the removal of flesh, but it's the removal of what? It's the removal of sin. That's all possible because of what we see at the cross. You understand baptism without having faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, understanding His death, burial, and resurrection, there's no operation that takes place. That's why faith is the requirement. And when we have faith and we obey God's plan of accessing that sacrifice from the cross, we can be assured of our salvation and God's forgiveness of our sins. Allowing God to perform that operation and redeeming us and making us a new creature. See, baptism puts you in Christ. There's nothing in the Scriptures other than baptism that's spoken of in these terms. Galatians chapter 3, verse 26 says, For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The only thing that can allow you to put on the righteousness of Christ that's imputed to us from the cross and that allows us to live in Christ and be a part of Him and He a part of us is that we come in contact with the sacrifice that was made on the cross. And the only way for that to happen he says, is in baptism. Baptism by faith. See, baptism isn't just the physical act of dunking someone in water. We do that every day, don't we? We can go swimming in a pool in the hot summertime and we can play around and we can dunk someone in water and in literal terms, we would be baptizing them. We would be immersing them or submerging them in water as a burial. But without faith in the operation of God and having faith in Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross, baptism is insignificant. But with that faith, baptism is the point at which salvation is given to you and I. Jesus finished His work on the cross, but you and I have to submit to that work in obedience to the Word of God. Baptism also washes away sin. Acts 22 and 16, as Saul of Tarsus finds Ananias, Ananias declares unto him what? And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. You see, Saul of Tarsus had to make a choice, didn't he? Whether to submit to God's plan of accessing what was done on the cross or walking away from that offering of Jesus Christ. And you have to make the same choice and the same decision today. But understand... That in baptism, you come in contact with the blood that can cleanse you of your sins. I want you to know it feels good to pray to God. I want you to know it feels good to worship Him. I want you to know it feels good to learn as much as we can about Him. But all of that is in vain if we're not washed in the blood. 
Revelation 1 and 5 says it from Jesus Christ who is the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his blood. Nothing more precious has ever been here on this earth than that blood that poured from Calvary. And as Jesus hung there bleeding, gasping for breath, laying down His life for you, and that soldier comes, seeing that he's already dead, and instead of breaking his legs because that had already occurred, he takes a spear, thrust it up through his side, and forthwith come blood and water. That blood is powerful. And that blood can cleanse you today if you access it through baptism, having faith in the operation of God. See, baptism is a form of the gospel of Christ. Romans chapter 6 and verse 3 says, Know you not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death. Therefore, we are buried with Him in baptism into death, that like His Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. You ever want a new life? You ever want a second chance? You ever want to just totally be brand new and start over? He says in God's eyes, you can do that when you're baptized into Christ. That you can die to your sins. You can make up your mind and your heart that I'm done with that life. Because of what that man did on that cross, I'm done. I no longer want to serve myself, but I want to put myself under His authority and His guidance and His wisdom and be His servant because of His love for me. And because He loves me, I want to love Him and I want to dedicate myself to Him. And I'm going to leave sin out of my life and out of my heart. You can be buried with Him in baptism. You die to your sins, you're buried with Him in baptism, coming in contact of His death and His blood, and you arise something brand new. And when God looks at you, He no longer sees the sinful past that you've lived. That old man is destroyed. Why? Because of the power of the blood of Christ. Not because of how good you are or the decision you've made now. It's because the blood is powerful enough to destroy the old man of sin. And that happened on that cross that day. And now you are redeemed and you're made whole and you have an opportunity to be clean and pure in the sight of God. Do you remember the day you were baptized? Some of you younger people, it hadn't been that long, has it? My oldest boy was a couple weeks ago. I hope he remembers it like it was yesterday. But you know what? I remember the day I was baptized like it was yesterday. Bruce Woody, one of the deacons at La Prada, had spent a lot of time with me. And a lot of other people had spent a lot of time with me in studying the Word of God. And I knew what I needed to do. And I remember Bruce getting me up into that baptistry at La Prada on that Tuesday night, January 19th, 1999. I still remember. And I remember him telling me, now Chase, you're a big boy. You're going to have to help me. <laughs> and I told him, don't worry, I'll be alright. And I remember telling him, make sure you get me all the way under. 
And I remember him telling me, you remember the blood of Jesus. And you remember what Jesus is doing in your life right now. I remember that. And I remember coming up out of that water feeling clean, (laughs) feeling refreshed, feeling like God really took my sins away. (laughs) I had a second chance. But you know what happened the next day? I woke up and I looked in that mirror and guess what I saw? The same old chase. And as that day unfolded, guess what I did? I had some of the same evil thoughts that I'd had the day before. I used some of the same words that I was using before that the night before I had promised God, I'll never do that again. Just cleanse me. Give me a chance. I'll be perfect. I'll do it. You know what? I realized I couldn't. I hated that. I remember talking to other people in the church. I just, I, I can't do this. I, this is too hard. But you know what I failed to realize is God didn't require perfection after we come up out of that water. What He requires is a heart that truly desires Him and seeks Him. And runs after Him. Longing to be as close to Him as we possibly can. And I want you to know something today. If you're baptized into Christ, you're brand new in His eyes. Even if you see the old sinful man from time to time. God sees something brand new. Perfect, pure, and clean through the blood of Jesus. And in faith, we have to live that way. And you can do that today. Because baptism is a picture or a form of the gospel of Christ. Romans 6 and verse 17 says, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you became the slaves of righteousness. We've talked with the young people this week about spiritual warfare. You enlist in that army when you're baptized into Christ. You place yourself in that battle when you're baptized into Jesus Christ and you come up a brand new creature, a child of God, ready to run your race and serve Him. But I want you to understand something else. You're going to stumble. You're going to struggle. And you're going to have to fight. But God's on your side. Because you were the servant of sin, but now you're the servant of God. Through what? Through your obedience to that form of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus died, was buried, was rose again. And guess what we do? We die to sin, we're buried with Him in baptism, and we arise to walk in a newness of life. There's a couple of important questions you need to answer this morning. Number one, are you in Christ? If you're in Christ following the directions of Romans 6 and being buried with Him in baptism, guess what you have? You have a promise that you're not under condemnation. For in Romans 8 and verse 1, Paul writes, he says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. You see, once we're cleansed and we're made whole, we have a responsibility to walk in the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit. 
And that responsibility is serious to God and it needs to be serious to you and I. For walking in the Spirit ensures that we are under no condemnation for God has redeemed and purchased and made us perfect. And when God looks at us, He doesn't see the same sinful man that we see, but He sees the blood of Christ continually cleansing and washing and making us new again. Do you have that in your life? Or do you have doubts about that? God wants to remove all doubt. And as you come up out of the watery grave of baptism, there needs to be no doubt in your heart of what God sees that day. And as you stand redeemed as His child today, having done that, you need to have no doubt in your heart whether you're still in Christ or not. And if there's a doubt, something needs to change. This morning, the other question I want to ask you is, understanding and hearing all these things, do you believe? We can look at pictures. We can watch movies. Man's depictions of what happened at the cross that day. We can read read the vivid accounts of the gospel writers who describe in detail what took place. But all that matters this morning is do you believe it? When you hear the story of the cross, does it touch your heart? Our society struggles with the idea of empathy, don't we? It's hard for us to put ourselves in someone else's shoes and really understand because many times we just don't care. Because we only care about who? Ourselves. You know, Jesus had no thought for Himself as He hung there on the cross. All He did was empathize with you. All He did was see what you had coming in your life. All He saw was the sin that was being laid to your account and to your charge and that that sin was going to separate you from His Father forever. And He said, I'll be willing to pay that debt for you because I understand where you're headed and what's going to happen, but I'll step in for you and I'll help you with that and I'll solve that issue. And He did it. And it's yours and and my responsibility to empathize with Him as He suffered there on that cross. That we look at the pain and we look at the suffering and we look at the agony and we try to understand what that was like for Him. And believing in that, we come obeying His Word. In Acts 8, that eunuch had Philip ask him a very important question. He had declared unto him Jesus. He had taught him about baptism. He had taught him about salvation. And then he looked at that man who said, here's water, what keeps me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Do you believe that this morning? If you do, you can come and be baptized, being added to the body of Christ and having your sins forgiven. Understanding the price that was paid for you. Because upon that confession that that eunuch made that day, the Bible says that he commanded the chariot to stand still and they went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord called away Philip that the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way rejoicing. I hope you rejoice this morning.
I hope you rejoice in the salvation that Jesus Christ has provided for us. I hope that you rejoice in the fact that God was willing to pay the ultimate price for your sins. And I hope and pray that you rejoice that you have obeyed His commandment. That you have been baptized and you've been redeemed and you've been purchased and you have an eternity with God. I hope you rejoice this morning. We have a lot to sing about, don't we? We have a lot to praise God about. And the greatest thing you have to praise God about is the salvation of your soul. And I hope you're rejoicing. If you're not, something needs to change and that something is in your heart. That you would be able to see that man dying on that cross and you would come to him as He offers Himself for you. If you'd be baptized this morning, you could have your sins washed away and you can rejoice with us. If you're here and you've done that, but in your life you know you're not rejoicing the way a child of God should because of sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who you can pray to to forgive you and restore you to that salvation. But don't leave here today uncertain about your standing with God. But answer that important question of who is this man? By making your faith known. Coming forward, having a seat on the front while we stand and sing.